I want to invite you to open up your Bibles today to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 12 is where we're going to begin. 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 12. So we're continuing through the text today. Let me ask you guys a question as we get started before we look at the text. If, if you were to make a list of the top things that you would think about that you need to grow in and mature in in your personal discipleship and your walk with Christ, what would make that list? In other words, if you were to just sit down one day in a quiet time and you were to think about, here are the things in my life that I need to grow in, that I need to be maturing in as I get older, what would they be? I was thinking about that most of us would probably put, we need to grow in our knowledge of the scripture. Uh, most of us would say that we want to be more consistent in our prayer life. I would imagine that there's a lot of us in there that at least would be convicted by the reality. We probably need to be more faithful in our finances. Hopefully after last week, you would write down that you need to grow and be a better steward of your spiritual gift that the Lord was given me, uh, given you. There's a lot of things I think we would write down and think about if we made a list of areas we need to grow. But let me ask you this. How many of you would put this one on the list? And that's preparing to suffer well. How many of you would write that down? I don't know that that would have made my list. Preparing to suffer well. I would bet most of us probably wouldn't because suffering is not something that we even like to think about, much less prepare ourselves for. But the problem with that is that when suffering comes, and it inevitably does, and we haven't prepared for it, and therefore it takes us off guard, and we aren't ready for it. And the enemy uses that as a powerful tool to derail many of us from our faith. <clears throat> and so I decided to call this sermon The Secret to Enduring Suffering. The Secret to Enduring Suffering. How many of y'all right here, just all honesty, would raise your hand and say this year, I've gone through what I would call a significant season of suffering. How many would say that? There's a lot of us. Um, if you remember, Peter is writing to a group of first century Christians that are either enduring suffering or they're about to go through a significant season of persecution and suffering. And one of the things he's doing through First Peter is he is preparing them to suffer well because suffering is coming. Now, before we jump into the text, I want to give you two quick reasons why this is a critical subject for us as followers of Christ to be studying today and why the Holy Spirit, I believe, put it in the scripture. And here's the first one, is the inevitability of suffering. That's the first reason this is important for us. It's the inevitability of suffering. One of the things I've realized in my, uh, in my lifetime, in my 48 years of life, is that suffering is a lot like ocean tides. You know, there's a season, seasons in our life where the tide of suffering goes out and we experience a prolonged season and period of, of where everything's kind of okay and we're not going through suffering. But as they say, sure as the ocean tides, inevitably in all of our lives, the tide of suffering comes back in. And so the question is not if we're going to suffer, but the question is when. And so there's an inevitability of suffering in all of our lives. 
Here's the other reason I think this is important, an important subject for us to prepare ourselves to suffer well. Number one, the inevitability of suffering. And number two, the result of suffering. The result of suffering. Why do I I say that? Because when suffering comes into a believer's life, one of two things always happens. When suffering comes into a child of God's life, one of two things inevitably happens. There's one of two results. Number one is that that suffering draws you near to the Lord. Some of you experience that. That's a good thing. That suffering draws you in nearness to the Lord and you experience an intimacy with God that you hadn't before. But the other inevitable result is this, and I've seen it more times than I can count, is that suffering comes in a life of a believer and it turns their heart away from the Lord. That suffering causes bitterness. It causes anger. And I've seen it, uh, folks just walk away from God altogether. And so the, the time to prepare your heart and to prepare your mind to suffer well is not after the suffering begins. Y'all with me? Um, a, a good analogy to think about would be um, like combat in the military. Um, the time to prepare yourself for combat, if you're in the military, is not after the bullets start flying. Y'all with me? And I, uh, I have a, you know, I was in the Corps Cadets, and one of my, when I was a sophomore, one of my freshmen ended up, um, you know, going into the military. He became an Army Ranger, and he was one of the first guys on the ground after September 11th. And he told me, he, he, was, uh, he was describing his very first moments in real combat. And he said, he said, Matt, I'd always wondered deep down inside how I would respond when the bullets actually started flying and somebody was actually shooting at me. But what he said, he said, when the, when the combat actually began and it was going down, he said, in, what, what interestingly, he said, my training immediately kicked in. My training kicked in. And he said, I, I fought with courage in those moments. And I, I believe suffering is just like that. I think suffering is so difficult. I think it's so heart-riching that the time to prepare yourself for suffering is not after the bullets of suffering start flying. But the time to prepare your heart and your mind to suffer well is before it ever comes. And so as we go through the text today, I want to go ahead and give you the four points. We're going to go through these four points. Here are the four points that Peter gives us about how to suffer well as a follower of Christ. Here's number one. First one we've sort of talked about already. We need to be mentally and emotionally prepared to suffer. That's the first one. We need to be mentally and emotionally prepared to suffer. Number two, we need to believe that God uses suffering to reveal the genuineness of your faith. Number three, view suffering as an opportunity for future joy. View suffering as an opportunity for future joy. And number four, the final one, view suffering as a unique opportunity to experience the nearness of God. Okay? So let's jump in. Let's unpack that first point. Let's look at 1 Peter 4.12 together. Peter writes and he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And so the very first thing the scripture tells us that Peter points us to 
about how to suffer well, the first thing he says, do not be surprised by suffering. Like something strange is happening to you. Oh my goodness, this is such an important thing for us to remember. Uh, this generation, our group of believers living on the planet right now, why? Because we live in a time in history where our life expectancy is higher than pretty much anybody in history. On top of that, we live in a country that it's got the best medical care in the world. On top of that, our generation of people have grown up in a country where persecution for our faith, at least up to this point right now, has been pretty much non-existent. And so we've grown up in, in relative ease and comfort and peace compared to history, right? And so when suffering comes, when persecution actually comes, a lot of times it takes us off guard. It, we're not prepared for it. It shocks us. And so Peter's saying, look, here's the deal. Suffering isn't the exception, it's the norm. So step one is don't be surprised. Don't let it shock you when it comes. And by the way, a side note here, this is one of the primary problems I have with the health, wealth, gospel that so many preachers are preaching in this country today. So if you're unfamiliar, the health, wealth, gospel teaches that if I just have enough faith that God will bless me and I can avoid suffering altogether. Y'all ever heard that? If I just have enough faith, then God will bless me and I can completely avoid suffering. The problem with that is it's completely and utterly unbiblical. When you look at the words of Peter right here, when you look at the words of Paul, when you look at the words of Jesus for crying out loud, they say that suffering is inevitable. It's inevitable. And so these people out there that have taught you and taught the country that if you have enough faith, you can avoid suffering. The problem with that is when suffering, suffering inevitably comes, like Jesus Christ said it would, it completely takes them off guard and it derails their faith. Listen, guys, the scripture is not teaching us to use our faith to avoid suffering. The scripture is teaching us to use our faith to walk well through it. That's what it's teaching us. Okay, so if you're gonna endure well through suffering, you gotta prepare your heart, your mind before it comes. Now let's look at Peter's second point here. And I want you to listen to this one really carefully because it's, it's, it, it is one of the most important aspects of ensuring that when suffering comes, you're gonna walk well through it and not walk away from the Lord. Here's number two. Believe and understand that God uses suffering to reveal the genuineness of your faith. You need to understand that God uses suffering to reveal the genuineness of your faith. Look at the text again, 1 Peter 4, 12. Peter says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Okay, now notice something here. Look at that first word. Let's leave this up for a second, guys. Notice the first word there. He says the word beloved. So who's he talking to? He's talking to Christians. He's 100% talking about Christian suffering there. And I want you to notice as he goes, I want you to know what he calls suffering in the sentence. He's speaking to you and me. He's talking about suffering and he calls suffering something. He says, beloved, that's you and me. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. In the Greek, that literally means a trial by fire. Okay, he's not waxing poetic here, listen. But he's talking about what God's doing, what God is up to 
when suffering comes into our lives. So listen, what Peter is literally saying here um, is that, do, well, let, me, let me go back to verse 12 actually. First Peter 4, 12, let's read it again. Beloved, do not be surprised at a fiery trial when it comes upon you, watch, to test you, to test you. And so what Peter is literally, literally saying here is don't be surprised when a trial by fire comes into your life as a Christian, because what that trial by fire is doing is it is testing you. Now, everybody look at me real quick, because this is really important. The word test right there does not mean that God's trying to trip you up. It doesn't mean that God's trying to get you to fail. That word test right there is literally a word that means bring to proof. Bring to proof. And so what the scripture's teaching us here is that suffering is a trial that the Lord allows in your life to prove or to bring to proof whether or not you really belong to the Lord. Now, you may be like, Matt, what do you mean? God allows trials in our lives to prove whether or not I'm really a Christian. And that's exactly what Peter just said. But I also want you to listen to how Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount because he says the exact same thing. Look at Matthew chapter seven, verse 24. Matthew seven, 24. Verse 24, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And so what Jesus is saying here is that there are one of two foundations that your faith is built on. There's one of two foundations that your Christianity, if you will, is built on. One person's faith is built on the rock of Jesus Christ, and one is not. Now listen, everybody look at me. What did Jesus say would reveal whether or not your faith is built on the rock of Christ or built on the shifting foundation of sand? What did Jesus say would reveal what foundation your faith is actually built on. Storms. Storms. There's one person's faith that was built on the rock of Jesus Christ, and after the rain and the wind and the waves came crashing in, their faith was still standing because their faith was built on the firm foundation of the rock of Jesus Christ. There's another kind of person that their faith was built on sand. They had some form of religion that wasn't built on the rock of Jesus Christ. And when storms came into their life, when rain and wind and waves came crashing into their life, their foundation was not built on Jesus, and so it fell. And so Jesus is saying that one of the surest ways that you can know for sure is whether or not you're really saved. One of the surest ways you can know whether or not you really belong to, Lord, to the Lord is not what you say with your words. It's not how often you attend church. It's not how much money you give. 
but it's how you respond to suffering. That's literally what Jesus just said, okay? So when trials and suffering come into your life, you'll either respond like Job, who lost everything. He lost his wealth. He lost his status. He even lost his children. And with trembling hands, he lifted his hands to the Lord and said, Lord, you give and you take away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Or you'll respond like more people than I have time to tell you about. That attended church, they sang the songs, they listened to the sermons, and from all outward appearances looked like believers until suffering came into their life. And then they grew bitter and angry at the Lord. And many times they completely walked away, and I've seen it happen over and over and over again. So here's, here's an important question here. Listen carefully. How does us knowing that through suffering, God is proving whether or not we really belong to him? How is that a secret to suffering well? Knowing that in my suffering, God is revealing the genuineness of my faith. How does that help me suffer well and endure in the Lord? Well, let's look, go back at the very beginning of the book of, of 1 Peter because Peter tells us, he almost uses the exact same words that he does here in chapter four, 1 Peter 1, 6. Starts this whole book off with this exact thought. In verse six, chapter one, 1 Peter, he says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. There's the word again. Watch this, verse seven. So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire. Y'all remember these words? We just read them. So that the tested genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold though it's, that perishes though it's tested by fire. Watch this. May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says, here's the reason that the tested genuineness of your faith is more valuable than gold is because at the revelation of Jesus Christ, when you're standing there before the Lord God Almighty and you endured through suffering, revealing that your faith was genuine, that the Lord is gonna wipe away every tear from your eye and then before all of heaven, he will give you praise and honor and glory. And in that moment, it will all have been worth it. So God's at work. He's testing the genuineness of your faith. And on the other side of that trial, on the other side of that storm, if you're still standing on the rock of Jesus Christ, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, you will receive praise and honor and glory. And that's one of the things that will help you endure through suffering. Number three, with that in mind, look at number three. View suffering as an opportunity for future joy. View suffering as an opportunity for future joy. Look at verse 13. That's a really cool verse when you stop and think about it for just a second. Next verse, he says, hey, rejoice. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. 
but rejoice as much as you're partakers of Christ's suffering that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. Now let me explain why that is such a powerful verse. That's one of those verses in the English that it really loses a lot of its punch and its meaning. But let me say this. Um, one of the reasons that we dread suffering so much is because suffering in many ways robs us of our joys and our pleasures here on this earth. Y'all know what I'm saying? I remember when I was 31 and I got the call that I had cancer. And in the beginning, we had no idea how like bad it was. We didn't know what stage it was. We didn't know if it had uh, gotten into my lymph nodes. And so there was a period of about three or four months that I didn't know whether I was going to live or I was going to die. And for a while there, before the Lord got my mind right, um, it completely wrecked me out. And, and here's the thing, looking back on it, here's the thing that, that I remember was the hardest. I wasn't afraid to die because I knew that I would, I would go and be with the Lord. So that wasn't what was bothering me. What was bothering me was the thought of leaving my wife and kids. Y'all with me? I didn't want to do that. Jennifer was young. She was just 30 years old. And so I knew she'd get married again and some other guy would raise my kids. And that, I would want that for her, but it bothered me. I wanted to raise my kids. Um, it hit me that I would not be able to walk my daughter down the aisle. And I wanted to do that. It hit me that I wouldn't get to hold my grandchildren and get to take them hunting and fishing. And I wanted to do that. And it broke my heart. And rightly so. But I want you to watch what the verse says again. It talks about the joy that's going to be ours if we endure in suffering. In 1 Peter 4.13, he says, but rejoice. He's talking about when trials come. When the, when the trial by fire comes and, and the genuineness of faith is shown, he says, rejoice. Inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. The key word is exceeding. That's the key word. That is a word in the Greek that literally means the highest possible level of joy that can be experienced. It's a word that means you lose your mind, you're so happy. It's a jump for joy kind of joy. And so Peter's saying here that if you suffer well, when the trial comes and you suffer well, proving that your faith is founded and built on the rock of Jesus Christ, when his glory is revealed, not only will you be glad that you went through suffering, but in that moment when you stand before the Lord, you're gonna experience the highest possible level of joy that a human being can ever experience. He's saying here that, when, this is the key I want you to hear. He's saying that when his glory is revealed, if you suffered well, you'll experience a joy that's better than marriage. He's saying that if you suffer well and you endure in the Lord, when his glory is revealed, you're gonna experience a joy that's better than kids and better than grandkids. That in that moment when his glory is revealed, you're gonna experience a joy that's better than Christmases and weddings and graduations, guys, and it's exceeding joy. It's the highest level of joy. And the only place you can experience that joy is on the other side of storms when you walked on the rock and stood on the rock of Jesus Christ. And Peter's saying, in that moment, when you are standing before the Lord and you're experiencing the highest possible level of joy, he's saying it's all 
going to have been worth it? That's the secret to suffering well. Well, here's the last point on how to suffer well that Peter gives us. Number four, view suffering as a unique opportunity to experience the nearness of God. For those of you that have never experienced the presence of the Lord, this will not be motivating for you. But for those of you that are believers and you've had those moments where you've encountered the presence of the living God in a real intimate way, you know how this will be a motivation for you to endure well with suffering. Because one of the things that suffering does is it gives you a unique opportunity to experience the nearness of God like nothing else. You know, one of the things that I hear a lot of when people experience, they encounter suffering, they're a believer, but then something goes tragically wrong in their life. One of the things I hear people ask all the time is, where is God in all this? Where is God in all this? How, how did he let this happen to me? You see, the temptation, hear this, the temptation when suffering comes into our life is believe that God has abandoned us. But church, that is literally the opposite of what the scripture teaches us. That happens in the life of a believer that is walking through suffering. I want you to go ahead and turn to verse 13 again, but I keep in mind here in verse 14, Peter's gonna use the example of suffering for the name of Christ. He's talking about persecution, but when you look at the whole of scripture, this applies to all Christian suffering. Look at verse 13. He says, rejoice in as much as you are partakers in Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. Verse 14, he says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Watch this. He says, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That word rests right there. It means an unusual nearness. It means an unusual fullness of the Holy Spirit. What Peter is promising us is for the believer, when we walk through suffering, the Holy Spirit of God rests on us in a unique and a powerful way that we can experience in any other place. King David described it like this in Psalms 34, 18. He says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Do y'all believe that? If you're a believer and you're experiencing suffering, the Lord has not abandoned you. If you're truly a child of God and you're experiencing suffering in your life, he is not far from you. It's the opposite. If you're a believer and you're suffering, if you're broken hearted, the Lord God Almighty is right there with you. He's face to face with you. He's near to you. Don't run from him. Don't grow bitter with him. Use that as an opportunity to draw near to him because he has already drawn near to you. There's a nearness of God. There is an intimacy that can be experienced with the Lord and it can only be experienced 
through suffering. I love how Charles Spurgeon described this very thing. Charles Spurgeon, famous pastor in the 1800s, what a lot of people don't know is he experienced a ton of suffering. From about my age to the time he died 10 years later, it was was a solid decade of suffering. And there's an amazing quote that he said about the suffering he was experiencing in his life. And here it is. He says, I have learned to kiss the wave that crashes me against the rock of ages. Just, just read that for a second. I've learned to kiss the storm. I've learned to embrace the suffering that crashes me against the rock of ages, Jesus Christ. He's teaching us that when suffering comes, we don't have to run from it. We don't have to get bitter about it. We can actually embrace it because it is crashing us and pushing us and drawing us near to our Lord. And that is the greatest joy of all. I'll end today with this. I um, have a dear friend right now that's going through um, cancer, and it's a, it's a really aggressive form of cancer. Her name is Pam Henderson. Many of you know her. Um, she's a longtime member of Sagemont. Her husband, Joe, um, I've become dear friends with them over the last year and a half. She was on the personnel team that helped bring me in. Um, just... Those of you that know her know exactly what I'm talking about. This woman shines with the light of Jesus Christ. She is sharp. She is godly. She is kind. She is just a jewel of a woman. And she recently, a few months ago, got diagnosed with this really aggressive form of cancer. And I was with her two days ago, asked permission to share this. But um, they've stopped treatment, and they don't know how long she's got. And... um, She is one of the best examples I have ever seen in my life of someone that is living this out. That's suffering well. That's drawing near to the Lord and enjoying an intimacy with him that she had never experienced before, even in these final days of her life. The Lord chooses not to heal her and I'm asking him to heal her. But they sent me a text. Pam sent me a text a couple of days ago and I want to I read it to you. These are, these are her words. She said, Matt, the Lord has been snuggling us close while revealing the cause of my headaches, blurred vision, deafness, immobility, and memory problems. Sounds like suffering, doesn't it? The brain MRI showed a suspicious spot on a couple of nerves in the brain. The spinal tap showed cancer cells in the spinal fluid, which confirms the spot on the nerves in the brain are in fact cancer. Not surprising. Next step is discuss possible treatment options. Apparently, none of the options are very effective and we may choose not to do any further treatment as the Lord directs us, which they chose not to do any further treatment. But watch what she says next. She says, we are not afraid. We have our God-focused hearts and minds and spirit set on his unflinching love. So join us in trusting our perfect, tender, all-loving Father who delights in our trust It blesses him as much as he blesses us. After all, we're gonna spend an amazing eternity rejoicing in the Lord. 
We, watch this. I am in love with him and he with me. I went and saw Pam on Friday. We cried together. We prayed together. I asked her that she would say hi to my mom when she got there. And she said something that I'll never forget. She said, Matt, she goes, I've experienced something that has really shocked me. I wasn't ready for it, but it's been beautiful. She said, Matt, when the pain has been physically the worst, it's when the peace of God has been the greatest. Who can say that? We can say it. We can say it. Because we belong to the Lord and because the psalmist promises us in Psalm 73, 26, that my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And so when that day comes, by the grace of God, let's do the same.